Psalm 65. Our scripture reading today comes from Psalm 65, beginning at verse 1. Praise awaits you, O God in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. O you who hear prayer, to you all men will come. When we were, when we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. There's a, a great industry that comes up with slogans, advertising for companies. It's their boast, what they are proud of, what they aim to do, their mission for existing. Uh, you know, the donut place says, America runs on Duncan. Uh, Disney World says, the happiest place on earth. Wow, what a boast. The happiest place on earth. What if God were to make a boast about himself? What if God's spirit were to choose a title for the triune God? That's what we find in this text, and we're bound to pay very close attention to it. What does God say about himself in the titles that he chooses in Holy Scripture? So here in this psalm is a title about God and the prayers of his people, you and me. And it's here in uh, verse 2. O you who hear prayer. And, and I'd like to talk about this, about God's nature and our prayer, God's actions and our prayer, and then God's glory and our prayer. So if you have this psalm, Psalm 65, let's turn there. It begins, as I said, in verse 2 anyway, with this attention-grabbing title of God. Oh, you who hear prayer. It's a marvelous thing. We should put this on plaques in our house, I think. Oh, you who hear prayer. It's his nature. That's what it's saying. Water flows because that's the nature of water. Fire burns because that's the nature of fire. God hears prayer because that's his nature. It's who he is. What that means is that prayer is not some sort of a rude interruption. You know, God dwelling in bliss in heaven. And then, oh, his whining people come to him with prayers. And he says, oh, all right, all right. I'll answer, just stay out of my way. No, instead, we see in scriptures that the triune God is given to answering prayer. In the Sermon on the Mount, several places, Jesus says, God delights to give good things to his children. We read in John chapter 14, where the Son of God gives this promise that he will hear our prayers and answer. Romans chapter 8, it says the Holy Spirit of God helps us to pray. The triune God, his very nature is to be a prayer-hearing God. That's what this psalm begins with. So, so that means that our hope for having prayer heard is not from the quantity of our prayer. It's not even from the quality of our prayer. Like I have to say the exact right words. It's not even from the intensity of our need. I'm not saying those things don't matter at all, but you see fundamentally it's from the very nature of God. God delights to hear the prayers of his people. 
what would God exult in? What does he boast in? Like the companies boast in being the happiest place on earth. What does God his rep, want his reputation among us to be? Well, it's this. He wants to be known as a prayer-hearing God. People have all kinds of titles, you know, sports figures. Air Jordan, remember him? Because he had these beautiful leaps as he made baskets in the NBA. Or this argument about, is Tom Brady a goat? The greatest of all time. What a title, the greatest of all time. That people have titles that they go by because it marks their unique ability. Something that makes them stand apart from everyone else, really, maybe in the whole world. But here's how God sets himself apart, a prayer-hearing God. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 45, he sets himself apart as the true God by this fact that he hears the prayers of his people. Let me just read uh, part of this. This is verses 20 through 22 in part in Isaiah 45. He says, they have no knowledge. He's talking about the idols. But they keep on praying to a God that cannot save. And then he says, turn to me and be saved, all the earth, for I am a God and there is no other. Do you hear that? They're praying to a God that cannot save. They're dead. They can't hear. But God is a God who hears. So God's glory shines in this, that he is a prayer-hearing God. That's where he shows the wonder of his power, his lavish grace, his sovereign rule over the whole earth, his love for you and me. All of that shines in this title that he hears the prayers of his people. Now, because that's his nature, it's also true that he treasures the prayers of his people. You see, he's a prayer-hearing God, and so he treasures the prayers of his people. How do we know that? Well, think about the price he paid to enable us to come to him in prayer. We, we had lost the privilege of prayer. That's from Genesis chapter 3. That's where it be begins. There was a, a breach between us and our creator. We couldn't pray. We didn't have the right, the privilege to stand before a perfect, pure, holy God and pour out our hearts to him. Not that God was not a prayer-hearing God, by the way. His nature did not change. He was always the same. But our sins had made a separation between us and God. Here's how the same prophet Isaiah puts it. Isaiah 59, the first two verses, says, The Lord's ear is not dull that it cannot hear. You see, he's saying God is still a prayer-hearing God. But then it goes on to say, But your sins have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you, so he does not hear. We've talked about this many ways and many times, and you've read about this all through the scriptures. We've lost the privilege of approaching a holy God in prayer. But God treasures our prayers. So what does he do? What does he do? Think about the price he paid. You know, we pay a high price for something we highly treasure. Well, we know what he did. He paid the price so that all flesh could come to him. Did you See that phrase in verse uh, 3 in Psalm 65? Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions or sins, you forgive them. It sounds so easy, sounds so simple, but that's a very costly verse. For God to forgive our sins cost the life of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. 
That's where our iniquity was paid for and God's forgiveness was freely offered. And in the offering of that forgiveness, we come into the presence of a prayer hearing God. He treasures our prayers. He paid the price so that we could offer prayers to a prayer hearing God. So the conclusion is obvious, isn't it? I I think it's obvious that the people who belong to a prayer hearing God must be a prayerful people. He's enabled us to do that. It's what he does. It's what he's great at. Imagine if uh, you met Leonardo da Vinci, you know, genius, great painter, sculptor, architect, engineer. Imagine uh, the brilliance of his mind. He's doodling figures of machines that will not be invented for centuries yet, you know possibility of a helicopter, a flying machine. And you go up to him and say, Lenny, I want to talk to you. Forget all that. I want you to just go sell hot dogs. No, you'd be wasting what God made him. You'd be going against his very nature, wouldn't you? In the same way, maybe much more, we dishonor God. We go against his nature when we don't, if I could put it this way, uh, put to work What he boasts in, that he's a prayer-hearing God, when we don't go to God with our prayers. So it's not just that we miss blessings, we do, but we also at the very same time dishonor who God is. We in some ways repudiate what his nature is. We dishonor him, especially when a desperately needy people, which by the way we all are, when a desperately needy people don't pray to a God who boasts in being a prayer-hearing God. So think of this, a a boy is sitting next to his dad, not a big deal, they're watching a ball game and he wants some popcorn. If he doesn't ask his dad for popcorn, you know, you say, well, it's not a desperate need. But suppose the same boy, he's off for a walk with his dad and he slips down a steep incline and he's sliding and slipping and grabbing hold of any bush or plant that he can as he slides down and he thinks, I know my dad is up there, but... Dad, I, I, I know you're really busy, but if you have just a moment, I, I'm sorry to ask you this. Could you throw a rope down? Oh, I, I'm really sorry to even ask you this. And, well, if you can't throw a rope down, please could you just call an ambulance and meet me at the bottom, maybe? What would you think? It would be dishonoring to the father, wouldn't it? What kind of a dad is this that he hasn't communicated his love, that he doesn't have a relationship of love with his son? think of a wife. She's driving in an unknown city. It's dark at night. She's in a bad part of town and her car breaks down. She thinks of her husband. You know, he's at home, legs up, watching TV. And she says, I don't want to bother him. I'll just call my neighbor for help. That would dishonor the husband. What kind of love does he have for his wife? What about his vows? What about his character? In the same way, Here's a God who boasts in being a prayer-hearing God, and we insult him with our silence. We dishonor him when we don't go to this great prayer-hearing God with our prayers, whether they be big or small. So that's the first thing I think that is striking about this psalm, this title that says, this is God's nature to be a prayer-hearing God. The rest of the psalm is really about how God demonstrate that. It's, it's, we would say, about God's actions. 
God demonstrates that he is a prayer-hearing God. He responds to our prayers, not reluctantly. Okay, I'm really busy, but fine, fine, I'll answer your prayer. He doesn't answer distractedly. What did you say? I wasn't listening. Could you repeat that? You know, that's not the way God hears our prayer. In fact, as you read the rest of his, this psalm, you say that he proves to us that his nature is to hear prayer, and he demonstrates that because of the God-like way in which he answers our prayers. So, turn again to Psalm 65, and I want to point out two things. First, God answers our prayers with earth-shaking displays of his power. Let me read verse 5 through 8. By awesome deeds you answer us in righteousness, O God of our salvation. You who are the trust of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who establishes the mountains by his strength, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples. They who dwell in the ends of the earth stand in awe of your signs. You make the dawn and the sunset shout for joy. So God displays who he is by the splendor of the way in which he answers our prayers. You see, you see the imagery here? It's beautiful. It's with majesty and with strength. He says, by awesome deeds you answer. And then you see the imagery here. He, he moves heaven and earth. He commands mountains and oceans to either roar or to be still, depending on what pleases him as he loves us and cares for us. God himself answers our prayers. I, I think it's worth underlining this. By awesome deeds, you answer us in righteousness. He doesn't send us to another department. Oh yeah, thank you for calling. Uh, I'm just going to put you on hold for a moment. Uh, I'll send you to our prayer answering. Enjoy the music while you wait. You know, it's not like that. He himself is involved, and because he himself is involved, he receives the glory. And that's Psalm 50, verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will glorify me, God says. Not this other department. you know, Not some other lesser person or angel. But you'll glorify me because I'm the one who will deliver you. Call on me in the day of trouble. And so verse 8 really is that. You make the dawn and the sunset shout for joy. All day, all night long, we're praising God because of the powerful way in which he answers our prayer. That's the first thing. The second thing, he acts, he demonstrates his right to this title that he's a prayer in God by the lavish way in which he answers our prayers. He answers powerfully, then he answers lavishly. Let me read verses 9 through 13. You visit the earth. So he's really talking about the answer. You visit the earth and cause it to overflow you greatly enrich it. The stream of God is full of water. You prepare the grain, for thus you prepare the earth. You settle its furrows abundantly. You settle its ridges. You soften it with showers. You bless its growth. You crown the year with your bounty, and your paths drip with fatness. The pastures of the wilderness drip. And the hills gird themselves with rejoicing. The meadows are clothed with flocks. And the valleys are covered with grain. They shout for joy. Yes, they sing. Just think about the imagery here. Verse 9 talks about the stream of God or the river of God. 
You, you notice God's blessings don't come by the bucket full. That would be nice. I, I wouldn't mind a bucket full of God's blessings, but that's not what he promises. They don't come by the lake full. Imagine a huge lake filled with the blessings of God, but the, the volume of a lake is measurable. You know how many blessings there are. You know, you know how many cubic feet of water there are, but no, it's, it's actually a river or it's a lake, which means it's inexhaustible. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. Lavish, rich. And then verse 11 is kind of an interesting verse. Uh, it says your paths, in our translation, your paths drip with fatness, or it's literally your farm cart drips with fatness, which is the way some of the other translations put it. You see what the image is. It's a farmer going from his field. He's got this cart pulled by a horse or an ox, and the cart has sides on it, and he's loaded it with the, what he's harvested. And he's loaded it and loaded, and it's overflowing, and every time he hits a bump in the road, some of that produce falls off. There's so much there that you can't even contain it. It's a picture, really, of the lavishness of God's answer. And then verse 12, the pastures of the wilderness drip and the hills gird themselves. Even the desert, the wilderness, a dry and arid place that typically has nothing is now overflowing like a jug that has too much in it. It's blessed, it's blessed. And if God is going to bless deserts, that's what this image is saying, then how much more a people that he loves with his whole heart and soul like you? God answers in lavish, lavish ways. And so verse 13 ends with this praise. They shout for joy. Yes, they sing. You can almost, as you read this psalm, you can almost taste and smell the blessings of the Lord. And I think it's purposeful. I think with this imagery, the Holy Spirit is enticing God's people to come to him. Uh, the Holy Spirit is making our mouths water for the grace of God. I want this. I want this in my life. And the Holy Spirit is therefore enticing us to pray to this prayer-hearing God so that he can act in our lives in powerful and lavish ways. It's God's nature to hear our prayers it's God's actions that demonstrate that that's his nature. Let me then talk about his glory in responding to our prayers. Because after saying that, I know there's all kinds of questions in your mind, right? Because the upshot of all this is, well, then what will God not do to bless his people and to glorify his name? But that's what raises question. They're saying, yeah, well... You know, you get paid to say this kind of stuff. Pray more. Pray more deeply. Because God hears prayers. But you don't know what my prayer life is like. When I pray, it's like they're, they're falling on deaf ears. I read those psalms where the psalmist says, God, are you asleep? God, have you turned your back on me? I have a silent God. I beg God for my children and nothing seems to change in their lives. I weep before God for my marriage and I see no changes. My job is, is sucking my soul dry and I pray for it and there's no change there. I, I'm full of, full of fear about my health and I don't see God acting in powerful and lavish ways. What are you talking about? So, 
I'm not going to pretend to answer all those questions, certainly not all the questions about prayer, but I want to acknowledge that when we pray, those questions do crowd in on us, and as they crowd in on us, they remove from us the urge to pray, the, the possibility of prayer, the faith to pray to a prayer-hearing God. And so I, I want to, from the psalm, give you three affirmations. As you go to your place of prayer, here's three things you and I have to acknowledge. I would say there's three sentences which would bolster our desire and our delight in prayer. So here's the first one. Tell yourself, write it on a placard, God is a prayer hearing God. I don't care what my friends and relatives are saying. I don't care what my heart is saying. I don't care what the demons of hell are whispering in my ear right now. But as scripture says, God is a prayer hearing God. But where's my answer then? Here's the way I think about it. God's answers to our prayers are more like cooking a recipe, cooking a fine dish, than it is like getting a seat at a restaurant. You know, if you go to a restaurant, it's crowded. You put your name on the list. Maybe if you take out some money and slip it to the host and say, here, can you put me a little bit further up the list? If it's a big enough amount, the host may think, sure, I think I can do that. And you may get up, get in a little sooner. You don't have to wait. Isn't that wonderful? But suppose you went to the chef and tried that. You're famous. I can smell your bread cooking. It's, it's famous everywhere. But, you know, I'm in a real hurry right now. Here, here's a little money for you. Could you please turn the oven up twice as high so that we can cut the time in half and I can get out of here? Wouldn't work. The bread would be burnt on the outside and raw on the inside. And so we have to remember that God is not slow. Peter writes about this in his second letter. God's not slow. He's just waiting for the proper time, the proper amount of time it takes to prepare the lavish grace he has for his people. And we have to wait. So God is a prayer-hearing God. That's the first affirmation. Here's the second affirmation we have to make. God is answering my prayers with awesome displays of his power and his lavish grace. God is answering my prayers with displays of his power and grace. You say, well, I don't see anything, though. Honestly, I've just been waiting and waiting. Sometimes for months and years, I don't see it. May I illustrate it uh, by telling you about a story? Now, this story is set in the uh, Himalaya Mountains. I don't know if I should say that because some of you laugh at me. They say, no, it should be Himalaya Mountains. No, it's Himalaya Mountains. Let me just, that's the way I say it. The whole mountain range, it's a vast mountain range. Highest peaks in the world are in this mountain range. But did you know that that whole mountain range is lifted up about an inch every three or four years? The whole range. Uh, what's happening is the Indian subcontinent is sliding north into Asia. And as it hits, it crumples like tinfoil. You know, and, it, and the whole mountain range gets lifted up. Imagine the power and the energy it takes to lift up a whole mountain range. And nobody knows it. Oh, I, I, I know the geologists who are, who are measuring with precise instruments know it. But you and I don't know it. There's no, there's no lights flashing to show that this is happening. 
There's no heavy machinery, you know, moving rocks up. There's nothing. And yet these mountains are moving up higher and higher. And we don't see it. God is moving a mountain and we don't see it. Now, something happened while I was there many years ago as a little boy. I shared this story with uh, some of the kids in church a few days ago. I was in school in the same mountain range. It was a boarding school, but I was uh, a, a day scholar. You know, I would go during the day and come home. And one day after school, the, the teacher said, you can't go home today. Why not? And we ran to see what had happened. And there was just this river of mud and rocks and boulders that had fallen down the mountain. So here was the, the mountain. The mountain continued here, and in between, the, there was a road. The house in which we were living was down here, but all the houses up here had been just bowled over like they were made out of cardboard, nothing. And that road had stopped the landslide from going too much further. Now, here's what I'm trying to say. Here was an avalanche in which all these boulders and rocks fell down, the energy and the power had been lifting up this huge mass of rock, millions of tons of rock for generations and for year after year. And we didn't see it. But here, all of a sudden, there was a display of that awesome power as all those rocks came tumbling down and displayed the, the, the amazing amount of energy that was stored there. So what am I saying? I'm saying here and there, there are these kind of dramatic answers to prayer. Here and there, there are these experiences we have and how wonderful they are. This kind of avalanche of blessings that comes where we see with our own eyes, we, we might say with our own senses, we experience the, the avalanche of God's power coming into our lives. It happens. But whether it's an avalanche or whether it's the steady lifting up of an entire mountain range, we have to affirm that God's power is at work whether or not I notice it. God is moving mountains because he's a prayer-hearing God whether or not I notice it. That's the second affirmation. We have to believe it. We have to know it in order to bend the knee and go before God in prayer. And then here's the Third affirmation, God is answering my prayers lavishly. God is a prayer-hearing God. God is answering my prayers with great power. God is thirdly answering my prayers lavishly and abundantly. Remember that image of a farm cart and it's so full that fruit and goodness is, is falling off of it as it hits every bump and if you were hungry, what would you do? Well, you'd chase after that cart. And that's what we should be doing. We should be chasing after the blessings of God. We talked about Hebrews 11:6 a few weeks ago. He who comes to God must believe that he exists. That makes sense. And then it says, must believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Chase after God. Seek him in prayer. And you will be rewarded. You'll be rewarded lavishly and richly. Because his glory is to satisfy you eternally. As the psalm indicates, to make you sing, to sing of, of his glory. But someone says, I haven't experienced any answer, much less a lavish answer. Well, here's two possibilities. I'm not saying it's the only two, but here's two possibilities. 
I think some of us and some of you are enjoying God's blessings in lavish ways. You're entering into a time in your life when, when there's just peace and joy. There's a kind of a quietness. You're just flourishing. You're fruitful in ways that you maybe didn't imagine you ever would be in the past. But God is blessing you. But here's another possibility. It could be that right now, God is increasing your capacity to increase, to, to rather enjoy the blessings that he has prepared for you in the future. The capacity to enjoy everything, the lavishness that he has, may not be large enough in you yet. Remember uh, this friend who had an orchard, and uh, uh, we were talking. He said, hey, you want some apples? I said, sure. And I held out my palms like this. He says, nah, forget that. And he gave me a sack. He says, hold this. And he filled the sack with apples. You see, he had a lot more to give than my measly little palms could hold. Maybe God is preparing you to hold a lot more. One of the, those very precious verses is Ephesians 2, verse 7. You know, you should read it. You should read it often. It says that it'll take God all of eternity to show you the riches of his kindness in Christ Jesus. There's a lot. God has a lot to give. This, this whole life is not enough for him to show all his kindness to us. It'll take all eternity. What a wonderful title. Psalm 65, verse 2, a prayer hearing God. It, it means that's his nature. It means that's his glory. That's his boast. And it means we should be a prayerful people. I pray that this news of a God who boasts, who glories in being a prayer hearing God, will make us a prayerful people. And we'll see that God's great glory and our joy and our praise and our satisfaction depends on lifting up our prayers to this God. Amen. Let's pray. Here we are. Dear Lord, you know that sometimes we refuse to come to you. Sometimes we're embarrassed to come to you because we think our prayers or our needs are too small. Forgive us for that, Lord. Forgive us for robbing you of the glory of delivering us from things big or small. Instead, Spirit of God, Draw us to the throne of grace uh, all through the day, even when we wake at night, when we face a distress, let our first inclination be, Lord, to cry out to you, look for your deliverance, and then, Lord, to praise and glorify you for being what you hear promised to be, a prayer hearing God. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. It's a blessing just to be heard, isn't it? Uh, sometimes all you want is someone to know, uh, someone to give you his ear, give you her ear, and to acknowledge that what you're saying is important. Imagine then the blessing of the King of Kings, the Lord of glory, uh, promising that he will hear you. The one who has all power in his hands and who loves you with his heart and soul. And to know that is a tremendous comfort to God's people. I was reading a, a, in a book about this man who described a church he saw in England. Uh, and uh, a small church had a little painting in the foyer. It was of a broken down house, house, hardly anything left, just some stones and ivy and bushes and weeds growing all over that stone wall. And underneath was this prayer. The, ru the, the ruins of my life repair and make my heart 
a house of prayer. The ruins of my heart repair and make my life, make my heart a house of prayer. And that's my, that's my blessing for you. May God repair and redeem all that's broken, all that keeps you from praying. And may God glorify his name and bless you in the lavish way he answers your prayers. Amen.